welcome, whether you're here or whether you're following us online, whether you're listening to the podcast. Uh, I'm one of the pastors. My name is Alex, and uh, I want to welcome you to our brand new series called Unshakable. Everybody say, Unshakable. Unshakable. Um, if you're following us online, you can, if you're on the church platform, you can just type that word, unshakable. The, the main theme behind this series, we're going to be studying the life of Daniel, one of the greatest men that we have ever seen in history and in all over the Bible, one of the greatest prophets. He basically, as a 15-year-old boy, 15-year-old boy, he goes from being a prisoner of war to the top of the pinnacle of success, and, um, and he's going to teach us, after many tests that he had to go through, God's Word is going to teach us some principles on how we can thrive no matter what's thrown at you, okay? And so I, I love that because if, you, if you're alive for any period of time, some things are going to be thrown your way, okay? It may, it may come from people, it may be finances, it may be circumstances, but you can pretty much, I can, you know, I'm 41, I'm a young 41-year-old, I'll, I'll be turning 42 here in a few, in a month or so, I don't even know when my birthday is anymore, but if there's one thing I can tell you with confidence is this, this life will throw you some curveballs from time to time. It's not always, that's not always the case. We don't have to live in fear, but there will be times when things will be thrown your way. And as a believer, as a, as a human being, you've got to be ready. You have to have the tools ready to fight the enemy. He's real. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. I want to set this up for you so that you kind of have an idea of what's happening while Daniel is alive, okay? So this is the year 586 BC. We're talking about 2,600 years ago, a long time ago. The nation of Israel has fallen into deep idolatry, immorality, injustice, all of that. There's a few people uh, that they're they're, they're called prophets, prophets, now we know that. But at the time, you know, you have people like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Sephaniah, and they're saying this, 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 this is like there's a message that they're trying to put out. And they're saying, they're saying, we're going to, they're saying to the nation of Israel, we're going to lose our freedom. And they, they, they're talking to the people. Okay, and I, I don't know if the setting was like this, probably not, you know, 2,500 years ago, that's, I'm sure it looked very different, but they're saying, hey guys, listen, you know, and the nation of Israel is like God's children, right? They're saying, listen, 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 we've got an important message for you. If, you don't, if we don't get our act together, we're going to lose our freedom. Judgment is coming, it's coming, and um, sure enough, about the year 586 B.C., the emperor of the most powerful empire on earth at the time, the Babylonian Empire, invades Israel. They take over the nation. They destroy the capital. They take 25% of the people back to what, it's, what right now it's called Iraq. Back, back then it was Babylon. And so they take 25% of the population back as prisoners of wars for 70 years. Now, put yourself in that situation. Imagine if they came in knocking down these doors and they tw take 25% of us back to a foreign nation, a foreign country. It was a total disaster. 
They lost their freedom because they were not paying attention to God's word, to what God had been saying, and it shook them to the core. This wasn't like a little Bible story that you tell. No, this affected every part of their lives here. Their economy was shaken. Their government was in shambles. Families were separated. Their education was disrupted. Their moral and ethical values were questioned. And uh, by the way, do any of those sound familiar to what we're going through? Probably not to the same level, but yeah, like in the last few months with the coronavirus, with the riots... The econ- our economy has been, I mean, strongest economy in the world has been shaken a little bit, right? When you have 40 million Americans lose their jobs, I'd say, you know, if, if you, you're blessed enough not to have lost your job, man, praise God. But if you're one of those 40 million, you would say, yeah, the economy, my economy, my finances have been shaken up a, a big deal, you know? Uh, our government, many of you would say, you know, I don't know what's going on, you know? You, families have certainly been separated over the last numbers that I got, over 114,000 deaths in the United States, 404,000 worldwide, worldwide. Education has certainly been disrupted. You know, my kids liked it for about two or three weeks when they didn't have to go to school. And then mommy and daddy laid down the law and they're like, send us back to school. You know, we're ready to go back. But for sure, education has been disrupted. Our um, moral and ethical values have been questioned. And so Daniel was in the middle of something that, in many ways, you, you and I are in the middle of. You know, like Daniel, who's a prisoner of war, and he was affected by all of the stuff that the Babylonians were doing. And in the same way, in a similar way, I know, not exactly, but in a similar way, we're prisoners to our circumstances, and to what things, the things are, you know, that are going on. I know many of you, some of you have had to readjust. You've had to get new jobs. You've had to do things differently. And so we have Daniel, 15-year-old boy, affected by all this. He ends up 70 years later as the second most powerful man on the empire without losing his integrity. Now, I want to know how you do that. Like, I want to know, like, how can a 15-year-old boy... Now, if you think the Bible doesn't apply to teenagers, man, listen to this message. Because this is all about a young person making a difference. A 15-year-old boy, he is, he's taken captive. So he's taken away from his parents. He's never going to see his mom and dad again, brothers, sisters. None of that's going to happen. Never going to see his friends. He's taken to a, a foreign land. He's never going to come back home. He spends the rest of the next 70 years of his life in a foreign country, hostile culture. How can a 15-year-old boy thrive no matter what? Because some of us could survive, right, under those circumstances. But how do you thrive? How do you succeed? How How do you make it to be like the second in command of a nation without losing your integrity? So here, here we're in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. Most of the verses will be on the screen. Some of them will not. Um, but let's begin. Verse 1. So during, it says, During the third year of King Jehoiakim's, Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar, that's the bad king, okay, of Babylon, what's that next word? Besiege Jerusalem with his army. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been besieged? Kind of a Um, A little bit of a strange word. Have you ever felt besieged by all the problems in your life? Have you ever felt, let me use a different word, have you ever felt overwhelmed? Anxiety, 
depression, stress, finances, kids, health, parents, okay? Have you ever felt besieged? I, I know I have. There's been times in my life when I just, you know, I've told my wife, I was like, I don't know that I can handle this. Like, I'm, I feel like the world is caving in. This is the way Daniel felt and the people of Jerusalem. They were besieged by this guy's army. Now watch this. This blew me away. Look at this, this next phrase. And God gave Nebuchadnezzar, that's the bad king, the, the what? I didn't hear you. He gave him what? The victory. Are you kidding me? Like this guy's not like part of God's people. Like this is... This is like, how could God do this? He's, he's, he's not a Jew. I mean, he's not a godly man. He's not a Christian. I mean, he's a total pagan. Why would the Bible say that God gave him the victory? Kind of strange, right? Well, I'm not going to get into it because it would be a long message. I'm, I'm trying to get you out on time this morning. Last, last week, we went a little bit too long, but it's okay. It was, it was a good service. But I'll say this. God often uses pagan leaders to discipline his own children. You know that? God will, like, it's all, and if you know the story of Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh was not a good man. Like, he punished God's people. God would, uh, the book of Judges is another example. You know, the whole book of Judges is like the nation of Israel is on this cycle. They would sin. God would allow uh, oppression to come. You know, he would allow some leaders, ungodly leaders, to rise up and oppress their people. The Israelites would recognize their sin. They would get on their knees. They would plea. And then that was the cycle, right? God would deliver. They would, he would raise up a deliverer. And so, but God often uses ungodly leaders to do his will here on earth. I don't always understand it, but when I see it in Scripture, I know it's true. When I see it in my own life, I know that it is true. And so sometimes he does that because he cares about his kids. He cares about his, his children. And he, so he's going to use his king to discipline his own children. L- l- listen to what happens next. This is after the battle, after the Babylonians come and they attack Israel, they go back. Look at what, what the, the verse says. That when Nebuchadnezzar returned to Babylon, watch this. He took with him, this is weird, the best sacred objects from the temple of God in Jerusalem and put them on display in his pagan temple of Babylon. So what's going on? What this king is saying, essentially, is he's saying, my God is better than your God, which that only adds to the complexity of then, okay, if that's going to be the attitude, then why would God allow for him to have the victory? It doesn't make sense. Well, just wait a little bit. Hang in there, and we'll, we'll look at it here in a minute. But what he's doing is he's saying, my God is better than your God. I'm going to steal all of your articles of worship, and I'm going to put them on my temple, the foreign temple, the the pagan temple. Let's keep reading. He says, he also ordered that the best young men of Judah be taken as captives to be brought to his palace. So one of those is Daniel, okay? So Daniel is one of those young men that's, that's taken back. And it says, select, watch what he says, what the king says, the bad king, select only the best looking, strongest, and smartest young men and bring them to my palace. Did you notice what the, the values in that culture were? What does he say? Look at it again. Bring me what? The best looking, strongest, and smartest. 
right? He says basically that their value in that culture was beauty, brains, and strength, right? And by the way, it's not just that culture. I think that could be said of, of our culture at times. I think that could be say, said of other cultures in the, throughout the world. Like if you're not smart enough, if you're not athletic enough, if you're not strong enough, if, you're not, if you don't have a great appearance, you're nothing. That's what a lot of people will say in, 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 in our culture today. In our culture, it's more like this. They'll say, you know, it's all about sex, salary, and status, right? That's usually, that's the three things that in a worldly culture, that's what, that's what we're looking for. And so that's what this king is going after. And they put these young guys into a, what I would call a three-year Cultural indoctrination. They're trying to brainwash them. Look at it. Verse 4, the second part of verse 4, the, the bottom part of verse 4, says this. Make sure that they are well-versed in every branch of learning and are gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in my royal palace. They're going to make them servants. They're going to make them slaves. Teach these young men the language and the literature of the Babylonian culture. They're going to indoctrinate them. They're not going to be able to eat their own food. They have to eat Babylonian food now. They're going to train them for three years. They're going to give them new names. And I'll talk about the new names next week. It's, don't miss it next week. I'll talk about the significance of that. All, all of them got new names, new Babylonian names. Basically, they're saying, you, you, we're going to... Re, we're going to Take away your identity. We're going to give you a new identity. They're systematically reprogramming these Jewish boys, these Jewish teens. Now, put yourself in Daniel's position. Would you say, in fairness to Daniel, that if you're a 15-year-old in this situation, your life had just been shaken up a little bit? Would you, would you agree that, yep, for sure? Like, if you can put yourself in his shoes, I think most of us, even if you don't believe the Bible, if you don't, you know, like, if you're just looking at this from a historical point of view, you, most of us would say, yeah, I mean, that would be tough. For a 15-year-old, I mean, you don't have your parents to guide you or lead you. You're not going to see your parents. You're, they're telling him you're not a Jew anymore. New name, new identity. You're going to eat our food. You're going to practice our traditions. And yet, even though he was shaken to the core, and Daniel grew up to be one of the strongest men of God in all of the Bible, one of the greatest prophets, he kept his integrity and his faith intact through all those years in a hostile culture. He was promoted, listen to this, he was promoted five different times. He served two different, three different empires, two different cultures. He, um, he led two emperors to faith. He led this guy, the, the king that we just talked about, Nebuchadnezzar, he led them to faith in God. He also led Cyrus the Great. As, a, as an 85-year-old man, Daniel, he was like in retirement, like, I'm done being a prophet. Like, this is it. I've had enough. Well, the emperor calls him out. He says, man, we got a big deal going on. I need you. He takes him out of retirement. And basically, Daniel does such a great job that he puts him second in command of the whole empire. And he says, you know what? You're going to be in charge of everything. Just second to me. And so the question that we're asking this whole series is, how do you do that? When your world is shaken up by divorce, when your world is shaken up by death, I mean, you fill in the blank, finances, um, an abusive relationship, 
drugs, when your world is shaken up by betrayal, but your kids are running away, they're going like crazy, when, you're, when, you're, when you have to deal with bankruptcy, with a health situation, when your world is shaken up, how do you thrive? Not just survive, because most of us, we can thrive, we can make it through, right? But how do you thrive, like Daniel did? God offers three suggestions. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write them down. Three things that he tells Daniel. Number one is this. Write this down. I think it'll help you. If you write it down, it'll help you remember. He says, don't be surprised by adversity. First thing that he's going to teach Daniel as a young boy is adversity is part of life. Don't be surprised by adversity. The collapse of the nation of Israel was a shock. Okay, no doubt. Like, it was, I mean, it shocked everybody. It was not, it was a shock, but it, was unex, it, was, it wasn't unexpected because you did have those prophets who were warning them. They were telling them, look, you're going to lose your freedom. You're going to, you know, we better get our act together and all of that. But listen to what the Bible says in 1 Peter 4, 12. You don't have to turn there. Listen to what the Bible says. It says this, dear friends, don't be shocked by, or surprised when you suffer through painful tests. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if I say any of you have ever been through a painful situation, I'd say most of us have. And God's word tells us, hey, friends, don't be shocked, don't be surprised if you go through something difficult, a painful test, a painful trial, as if something, watch this, as if something strange is happening to you. So, like, what God is saying is shakeups are part of life. They're going to happen one way or the other. We, we live in a broken world. We, this is not heaven. You know, this is like in heaven, everything's perfect. There are no tears. There's no stress. There's no sickness. Everything that, you know, you don't have, you don't have to suffer anything perfect. Here on earth, we live in a, in a broken world because of sin. Our minds are broken. Our bodies are broken. Our, our health is broken. Relationships are broken. I mean, you know, like... Everything is broken. The weather's broken. The economy's broken. And so we should not expect perfection here on this side of, of, of earth. And when something bad happens in your life, asking why me is not going to help you. I've asked that question, but I know that in the end, in the end it's really not going to, it's not the best question you can ask. Jesus puts it like this. Can we put the next verse on? There you go. In this world, you may suffer some consequences, right? That's what Jesus says. You, you, you might go through some struggles. Is that what he says? No. In this world, you what? You, you will. It's a promise. Now, that's not the kind of promises that I want to hear from God's word, right? Like, no, 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 I'm going to ignore that promise. I don't want that one. How many of you want that promise? You know, how many of you claim that promise? I'm like, no, no, I don't want that. But Jesus says, ah, man, I'm going to tell you, you will, you will face adversity. You will be shaking up. Sometimes there are times when you feel like you're in a washing machine and that thing is going all over the place and you don't know where it's up, where it's down. And Jesus says, you will experience difficulties, but take heart. I've conquered the world, thank goodness. I've told you this so that in trusting me, you will be, can we put the next, yeah, there you go, you will be what? Unshakable. You'll be unshakable. So that in trusting me, you'll be unshakable and deeply at peace. He's saying, look, you will face adversity, 
But don't let it blow you away. When it comes your way, don't be, don't be shocked. Don't, don't be caught off guard. I want you to know this truth of God's word so that when the world feels like it, when the, the mess is coming your way and the adversity is coming your way, it won't, you won't allow it to cave, to, 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 like you won't be cave in. You don't allow it to, you won't be collapsed basically. And he's saying, he's saying, number one, he's telling Daniel, don't be surprised by adversity. Number two, write this down. Second suggestion God mentions, when your world is shaken up, when it's shaken, consider how God might use it for good. This is, this is intentional. This is something that you have to do. This is not like, like it just happens automatically. You have to, if you're going through a difficult way, a difficult circumstance, you have to look for ways in which you think God is actually working on your behalf. Because God is for you. And he will take even all the junk and even all the bad stuff in your life, he will take those things and bring good out of them. Jeremiah 29, 11. The plans that I have for you are plans for good and not plans to harm you. They're plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, I know that verse is specifically addressing the nation of Israel in a particular situation, but man, all of God's Bible, I can use it for my edification. And so I take that verse and I'll say, man, I'm going to hang on to this promise. I know it was primarily to the Israelites, but I'm going to steal this one because I can hang on to this. And I believe that I serve a good God. And I believe that I serve a God who, who gives me hope and who, that's why we say the best is yet to come. Regardless of what you're going through, the best is yet to come. And I know that he has a good future for me and he has, he, he has a better place for me. Now the enemy on the other hand, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. His plans are bad. His plans are to steal my joy, to destroy my family, to come after me. So I, gotta, I, have to be, I have to be wise enough to know that I serve a good God, but I also serve a pretty powerful enemy. And so God, sometimes when I'm going through a difficult time, Lord, I just need to consider how you're using this situation for my good. Now, the typical question is, why does God allow this to happen in my life, right? Why does God allow me to be shaken up. I'm going to give you three subpoints, okay, under this one. Three, three quick ones. Number one, God shakes things up in your life to inspect you, to inspect you. He will allow a problem in my life to reveal my motives. It reveals, they re, sometimes they reveal my character. They, they reveal my deepest thoughts, the things that I'm hiding. God allows some things in my in life so that I, so that I can so that he can inspect me. Somebody said this, people are like tea bags. My wife loves tea. You're gonna, you're gonna like this one, honey. People are like tea bags. You don't know what's in them until you drop them in hot water. I'd have to agree. Jeremiah 17, 10. It's not on the, on the screen, I don't think, but it's a good verse if you wanna write down the reference. 17, 10. Jeremiah 17, 10. Look it up later. Um, it says this, the Lord searches the hearts and examines our deepest motives so that he can give each person his right reward according to how he has, that person has lived. And so God will inspect us because he's so much more interested in your integrity than your image. You follow me? Like your image, what's your image? Your image is what everybody else sees. Your image is, is you know, what, like what everybody thinks about you, you know, like a, you know, kind of your reputation kind of. Your integrity is who you really are. In the dark, 
Your integrity is who you are when nobody is watching, when nobody's listening. And so God is saying, hey, listen, listen, listen. I want you, I want you, to, I want you to know that from time to time, I will bring things to your life that are not easy, that are not pleasant, that, you know, you know, that will get you out of your comfort zone because I'm inspecting you, because I'm more concerned about your integrity than your image. And so when I, when I put a little bit of heat on those things, it's going to help you know who you are. It's going to help you see for yourself what your character is, who you are as a person. Now, like, like, like image is what everybody thinks of you, and that feels good, right? I like for people to know that I'm a good guy, you know? That's a, that's a normal behavior. We all want people, we all want to look good, but God goes up above and beyond the surface stuff that we put out for the world to see. And so if you are going through a difficult time, if it's shaky ground right now, if the foundations are unstable, I want you to write this question down. Write this down. What does this problem reveal about me? Write that down. What does this problem reveal about me? My motives, my character, my deepest thoughts. Here's the second thing why God shakes things up, to correct you, to correct you. Hebrews 12, 8, real quick, God corrects all his children. If he doesn't correct you, then you don't really belong to him. So if you're sinning, if you're not behaving the right way, if you're going off track and God is not disciplining you, he's not correcting you, you should be asking yourself whether you're a part of God's family or not. You know, I mean, nobody wants to hear that, right? Like, ooh, okay. That's, this is, God corrects all of his children, not some, not those that look good, not those that just go to church, no, no, or those that don't. Like he says, all of them, if he doesn't correct you, you don't really belong to him. Listen to it. God corrects us for our own good because he wants us to be holy as he is holy. It is never fun to be corrected. How many of you would, would agree with that part of the Bible? Raise your hand. Give me a thumbs up if you're following us online. Yep, it's never fun. Like, yeah, like I'll be the first one to admit, I don't like correction. You know, that's, that's not like, no, no, not me, God. Give me some grace. But from time to time, he'll give you correction because he loves you. In fact, it says this. In fact, at the time, it is always painful. If we learn to obey by being corrected, we will do right and live at peace. He's not going to get anything out of it. He just wants you to have peace. And so um, let me ask you this. Did you ever benefit from correction growing up? And I'm not talking about abuse. Let's make sure we're clear on that. But did you ever benefit from good, wholesome correction? Yeah, absolutely. Everything, like, like if, it was, if you had not been corrected, you would not know how to walk. You would not know how to speak. You would not know how to eat or bathe. I mean, like somebody had to teach you how like, to write. Like all of those things, you learn those, the basic things of life. You learn them by someone loving you enough and saying, you, hey, it's not like this. It's like this. And so correction is just a part of life. And so if there is a shakeup in your life, the question that you should be asking yourself is, what is this problem teaching me, God? Like, why? Like, don't ask why me. You should ask, what should I be learning from what you're teaching me? 
Sometimes God, the last, the third subpoint, He allows things to be shaken up in your life to direct you, to direct you. He wants you. He wants to point you in a new direction. He wants to guide you down a new path. Proverbs sixteen nine. A person may plan his own journey. You may have all of your plan, your, all of your life planned out. Okay, some of us are more planners than others. God says a person may plan his journey, but the Lord directs his steps. So like you may have your plans, but God is going to direct your steps. And so when someone betrays you, when you don't get the job, when you feel rejected, when they let you go, when you're not accepted, when, I mean, none of those things are fun, but God uses those things at times. He allows those things to come your way because he's trying to redirect you. Here's what I've learned in my life. My greatest rejections, and, and I, I can tell you from experience, the times when it has hurt the most, the times when I have been rejected as a human being, and I did not like it, and it was painful. It was those times, more often than not, that what God was doing in my life, he was just redirecting me. My greatest rejections sometimes have been my greatest directions. And so God will use the pain for your benefit. Okay. Pain, by the way. Pain is a powerful motivator, right? Like, nobody likes it, but, like, we don't change when we see light. Man, those lights are bright, you know? That's, that's it. They're bright, okay? We change when the heat is on. You put a little flame under my myself right now, I'd be like, oh, no, I don't want to go there. So when the, when the light is on, it's like, that. Yeah, it's not, I don't change. When the heat is on, that's a totally different game change. I begin to think about what should I do different. Proverbs 20, 30 says this, sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. Makes sense, right? Yeah. And one of the values from pressures and from difficulties and from all those crises that we, we go through is that it gets you thinking. It gets you, if you live, if it's always comfort, if that's always what you do, right, then, then like we don't, we just on, on cruise control. So pain will get us thinking about, you know, C.S. Lewis puts it like this, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts in our pain. That's powerful. When David, fell, when his life fell apart, Psalm 119, 59, he said this, I've thought about my life, probably didn't really think about it until all of his problems, like his life was about to collapse. He says, I've thought about my life when those problems came my way, and I've directed my feet back to your written instructions. If, uh, if you had a disease that didn't cause any pain, you never go to the doctor. It'd kill you, but you'd never go to the doctor. You'd ne- never do anything to change. And so pain, whether it's emotional, whether it's physical, whether it's a difficulty, sometimes can be beneficial for you. And what I'm encouraging you and challenging you today to do today is to look for ways in how, like in which God may be using all those shakeups to bring something good out of it. All right. The question here is, where is this problem leading me? Where's this problem leading me? Because God will use those problems to prod us, to poke us, to push us a little bit, to prompt us, just like a shepherd does with a sheep. Okay, so let's close this thing. Let's wrap it up. God makes three suggestions for Daniel. 
Number one, don't be surprised by adversity. Number two, consider how it may be good for you, how God may bring good out of it. He may be correcting you. He may be protecting you. He may be directing you. And number three, we'll close with this. Trust God for what you don't understand. So when there's a problem in your life and it doesn't make sense, what do you do? Like you're like, man, you're looking at a situation and you're like, I just don't get it. I don't know what God would give Nebuchadnezzar, the evil, wicked, pagan king, the, the victory. It doesn't make sense. Well, you look at your life and you're thinking, okay, I don't think God is inspecting me. My motives are pure. I don't think God is trying to correct me like I'm clean, like I'm good. I don't think he's the, uh, like, uh, directing me or redirecting me. I don't think that, like, I don't see how he's protecting me. I just don't get it, Pastor Alex. What do I do if I don't, just, if I don't understand my, my circumstances? Then you let this verse, Proverbs 20, 24, be the key to your life. This is our key verse for today. If you don't get anything else, okay, Listen to this verse. This, some of you, if, like, if you're ever going to get a tattoo on your arm, this is the verse that you've got to put on your arm, okay? Like this is the verse like you've got to memorize. I promise you if, you, if you get a hold of this truth, if you let it marinate in your heart, your life is going to be so, problems and difficulties are still going to be there, but I promise you this is going to be a, it's going to help you. Listen to what God says. Proverbs 20, 24 says this. Since the Lord is directing our steps, watch this. Since the Lord is directing our steps, why try to understand everything that happens along the way? I want to just slow down a little bit. All right? Process it with me. Since God is directing your steps, yeah, yeah, God is directing my steps, okay? Why do you have to try, why do you have to understand everything that happens along the way? That's what the verse says. In other words, trying to understand God's will is like an ant, like a little ant trying to understand the internet. It's impossible. You're, you and I, we will understand some things, but it's impossible to always understand everything that happens in your life. And so when you face difficulties, when you hit that wall, or when that you know, thir- uh, curveball is thrown your way, and you don't understand it, and you feel like, man, this thing is going to, like, I feel like I'm, the whole world is collapsing, and you don't know what to do, here's what God says. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know it. Trust the Lord with all your, say it, church, with all your heart. Doesn't say trust the Lord with all your intellect, right? Doesn't. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Honor the Lord in everything you do. And he, you want to know how Daniel had success? Put all his trust. He didn't ask, why me, Lord? I'm only a 15-year-old boy. No, no, no. He said, you know what? There's something good that's going to come out of this mess. And God used him, and 2,600 years later, we're talking about him, and the legacy that he left behind is like none other. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you three questions. Um, And, you know, maybe you're listening at home, and the kids are running around, and you're wondering, why do we, as our worship team comes on on stage, you know, why, why does a preacher ask us to close our eyes and bow our heads? The only reason is so that we can remove some distractions, This is your time with the Lord, okay? 
If, if the kids are running around the house, like the living room or wherever you're watching the message, hey, just tell them to just kind of be, be a little bit quiet because I, I want this time to be a time of reflection between you and God. I'm not your priest. It's not between you and me. It's between you and the Lord. And I want to ask you three questions. If you're driving and you're just listening to the podcast, don't you know, close your eyes or anything, but just focus for a moment. Just you and the Lord. Three questions that I think you can use to self-evaluate. There's no judgment coming from me. I have my own junk that I have to deal with. So this is from the heart of God to yours. Just three questions that you can ask him. The first one is this, Lord, are you using these problems to inspect me? Like the ones that I'm going through right now. Like what do they reveal about my life? God, is there a weakness? Is there a misplaced priority in my life? Is there, is there, like, is there some place that I've compromised your truth and you're trying to show me um, what you want me to do? It's a great question to ask. Lord, are you using these problems to inspect me? No judgment coming from me, but it's a great question to ask. Two, are you using this problem to correct me? God, I know you love me. You know I'm not perfect. Why am I dealing with this? I mean, what are you wanting me to learn? What's happening to me, God? Like, like is, this something that you, is there something that you want me to teach me? And if there is, would you make it clear? It's a great question to ask. Are you using these, these problems to correct me? It's a humbling question. And the last one is this. Are you using this problem not to inspect me, not to correct me, but are you using them to direct me? And if so, what's the direction, God? What do you want me to change? Where, where do you want me headed? See, you don't... God is at work in your life even when you don't recognize it. And that's the beauty of our relationship with Him. Like God is, God's work is not really dependent on you understanding it. And so why don't you pray something like this, just a simple prayer. You can say it in your mind, you can say it out loud, you can say it in your heart, something like this, simple prayer. Dear God, I want to trust you with all my heart. God, I, wanna, I don't want to trust you with my intellect, I want to trust you with all of my heart my anxiety, my depression, the junk that I'm dealing with. I'm not going to depend on my own understanding, God. Lord, I want to honor you in everything I do, whether it's work, whether it's home. God, I'm, I'm confessing right now that sin that's getting in the way, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a U-turn. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repent. I'm just, repentance is just agreeing with you. That's really what it is. And so I know better. And so, God, would you forgive me? Would you help me turn around? Jesus, I want to trust you with all of my life as best and as, I, as I know how. And I'm doing it today. You pray that simple prayer, whether you're a Christian or not, you have a God whose grace and love goes beyond your greatest fear, greatest mess, 
the most difficult circumstance. And I believe that by speaking those words, God will give you the strength and he will give you the direction that you need for your life. Father, we praise you today. As we close our service today, may this song that we're about to sing be our anthem. And may we exalt you on high for who you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and we'll finish with this song.